Welcome to Aperia, the podcast, where we discuss the great questions of classical Christian education. We're your hosts. I'm Tim Dernland. And I'm Danielle Dillenschneider. Join us as we navigate our way through the labyrinth of questions. So today I want to talk about what is Aperia according to the classical Christian tradition. Fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Sounds good. So this was kind of a new concept to you when I introduced this idea of aporia. Had you heard of it before? I hadn't. I hadn't. Mm-hmm. It was a, a new word, um, newish concept. Um, uh, I think I understood the concept after being around classical Christian education, but specifically aporia w- expounded on my, my understanding, and, and it's fascinating. And I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to diving in and discussing it more. Yeah, I think for me, it's a... V- a word, a phrase, a term that I'd heard so much really starting in undergrad with the wonderful Dr. Mashburn. I took his yeah. philosophy classes and anytime we'd be talking about Plato, especially Euthyphro, uh, he would always talk about aporia, aporia, uh, and that experience of that. And uh, then we, when I went to Eastern to the Templeton Honors College, we talked about it a lot as well. Hmm. And it just has kind of hung around in the back of my mind for a while. And I, uh, I, I don't know, it was, it was something that really stuck out to me. And I think it kind of goes along with one of your books that you've just written. Can you tell me a little bit about that? The 100 Common Questions, I'm going to butcher it if you sure, don't sure. say uh, it, the uh, title. <laughs> a, a Guide to Understanding Classical Christian Education, uh-huh. 100 Common Questions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, thanks for bringing that up. I, I, I've tried to put together 100 questions to help get at what we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. And it's very um, rudimentary and introductory, but yeah, getting getting at the at the question and why we do what we do mm-hmm. so that we can have some common understanding. Mm-hmm. But no, this idea of aporia mm-hmm. it takes it much farther. And, mm-hmm. and um, I see it a lot as what we do in Socratic discussion, Socratic learning, and, and bringing us to a much a deeper level. So mm-hmm. why why did why did the book I wrote come mm-hmm. to mind? So aporia is about uh, puzzlement, about being at an impasse, uh-huh. that sort of confusion that you experience when you just sort of reach the end of yourself or the end of what you know. Uh, it comes from the Greek term, you know, aporos. So poros is, is way or path, pass. Um, I I also I think about like uh, a port or that sort of thing, portal. That's then my English equivalent, how I remember it. So to be aporos means to be without a way, and then aporia is sort of the state of being puzzled or without uh, at an impasse, without being able to move forward. And I think uh, it, in one way it reminded me, you define a lot of Latin and terms that we, we use in classical Christian education in, in uh, your book, but also the experience of not really knowing why we do things certain ways and kind sure. of seeking out identifying some of those questions that people tend to ask and uh, that's really the concept I have for, for this podcast this idea of uh, discussing the great questions of classical Christian education and I feel like great in my mind is sort of a pun in, in a way or meant to be understood two ways one's like great as in you know the great ideas of western tradition uh-huh. they're really big and uh but in, in other ways it's the that's a great question 
You know, why do we do this this way? Oh, that's a great question. So Maybe great, I haven't thought about it. Grand, but also fantastic mm-hmm. and inspiring. All right. Mm-hmm. So if it's a if it's a portal, and some of those mm-hmm. questions mm-hmm. are a portal to mm-hmm. understanding, um, it's uh, it goes right along with that that design you put together for the the logo of this this whole thing that mm-hmm. that labyrinth and mm-hmm. and that there needs to be a way. So how how can we get to the understanding of these great and great questions? Mm-hmm. So do you um, know the difference good. between a labyrinth and a maze? Have you ever heard of that this idea no tell, tell tell me the difference so some people don't really distinguish it you know sometimes if you look up labyrinth it just says a maze but normally uh, the goal of a labyrinth is to get to the center right mm-hmm. uh, a maze um, is to mm-hmm. get to the other side or out the yes. other end right yes okay yeah. all right and uh you know i think about like the great myths of the minotaur mm-hmm. and the labyrinth mm-hmm. right and mm-hmm. daedalus making that um but also in in the christian tradition they use labyrinths for prayer, for like prayer walking. And it gives you an image of the Christian life, right? So if you start out at the, the outside and you're trying to, to wander your way into the middle, um, experiencing God's presence in a sense, is that the middle? For those of you listening right now, Danielle is <laughs> drawing on the table in a circle. Go ahead. <laughs> so so I, think, I, think, I think of uh, being uh, aporia sometimes when you go through a maze, because sometimes they're very confusing, or you can get stuck. And and for some mazes, there's only one direction. They're not, or not mazes, labyrinths. Mm-hmm. There's only one direction. They're intended to be kind of easy to follow. But sometimes, uh, like in the the myth of the Minotaur and Daedalus and that sort of thing, they are intended to be confusing. Sure. But the goal is that you get to the center and you sort of experience in the Christian tradition the sort of presence of God. And then it's sort of a symbol for then you have to go back out into the world and, and go make your way back out and, and navigate how to, to get back out into your daily life. And, and that confusion as we journey to the center, um, to, the, to the truth, to the understanding, is refining. That confusion is built in intentionally to, to help us um, grow and, and learn. And that's, that's kind of at, at the heart of Aparia, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think leaning not on your own understanding. And I think it's interesting to me how the the Greeks and, uh, you know, pre-Christian and then Christians both had this concept of aporia. Mm-hmm. They both, uh, Paul uses it in his letters. Um, it's written in the Gospels, use that, that term in the Greek, but then, uh, or to be aporos or aporia. But then um, it's also obviously in, in the Platonic dialogues and... In some ways, their handling of aporia is similar, and in other ways, it's a little bit different. So specifically, where do we see this concept in Scripture, um, this idea of, of aporia? And um, as we look in the, the New Testament, um, do we see specific examples of that that we can refer to and, and, and think about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you see it uh, a couple different times. Herod experiences this. Uh, Aporia, it says in Mark six twenty, where he talks about uh, being a little bit perplexed about what's going on with John the Baptist and Jesus. I thought I killed John the Baptist, and mm. some people are saying it's him. What's going on there? There's another time that, that would definitely create a yeah. uh, dysphoria, right? Some aporia. That's great. My favorite example, though, is uh, the disciples after the resurrection of Christ. They mm. were. They go and go to the empty tomb, and he's not there. 
and they were puzzled. They were they're in a state of puzzlement. They were confused. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> and I think too, uh, they also it demonstrated aporia. It says in the in the text uh, at the Last Supper, when Jesus said one of them would betray him, and they immediately go into self defense mode. No, is it me? Could it be me? You know. Some self defense and maybe mm-hmm. some some true questioning of like, mm-hmm. wow, I know my own flaws. Could could I do that? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But yeah, huh, mm-hmm. that's great. So it's funny that you know in in John it says you know that the disciples experienced that puzzlement, and then in, in Luke that they experienced the puzzlement you know after the resurrection. So I could just imagine just over the course of a couple of days just being so confused like what is yeah. happening? <laughs> and I know Jesus has been talking about this for a while, but I'm still not following what is happening. So there's that. But then, you know, Paul uses it in some of his letters uh, to the Galatians and I believe at another location, I can't remember, but uh, just fascinating when he uses it uh, in one instance, he's talking to the, these Christians and he says, you know, we, uh, let me see if I can find it actually. Back through my notes. Well, as you're thinking, um, just to refer back to the labyrinth for a moment, um, I've seen some classical Christian schools have prayer labyrinths on their campuses, and it's just such a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. I've had the experience to walk a couple, and and it's um, it's really nice to experience that. And so not only to contemplate it, but also to experience it in a, a, a labyrinth that's built, but... This whole idea is, is just fascinating, and I'm, I'm looking forward to building on it. Um, so what, what else were you thinking of in, uh, in Scripture? So he says that he feels aporia over the Galatians and their mm. state of spiritual formation. Uh, let me see if I can actually find that. It's uh, Galatians 4. We'll start in verse 12 and go through 20. So he says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Mm. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. I think I I like the whole context of that. But then right there at the end, Mm -hmm. we heard it, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Is that Mm -hmm. right? The perplexed. Yeah. That's the aporia. Mm -hmm. Okay. And to me, I love the whole context of 12 to 20 because you you see him sort of recounting everything and kind of thinking about replaying, you know, when I first preached and this was the circumstance and and he's in labor, he says, like, like, yeah, childhood in a way, yeah, um, for the, the formation of them and... I think in some ways that I read that when I was researching this term and I thought, oh, I really get Paul <laughs> there, you know, this idea of... How, how do you get him? As a teacher? Yes, okay. because with as, as you teach, you are trying to help form these kids. Yeah. And you know that sometimes 
no matter your efforts and your prayers, some things just don't seem to be clicking. Mm. And it's not all on you, but you get this sort of state of perplexity, aporia, like how, how can I make this clear? What else can I do? Um, it's not really frustration at them per se. It's just, uh, you know, what, what else can be done and, and what do we do from here and, and where do we go? It's sort of that hitting a dead end in a way. I think you feel that a lot when you're a classical Christian educator. Sure. Because, you know, not every student is always going to get it. Um, and, and so there's a, there's a um, perplexity and, and um, pains of childbearing for them and trying to get them there, but also knowing our own limitations. Like, oh, what else, what else can I do? I, I love these kids. I want mm-hmm. them to get there. And so it kind of, there's a lot to it. There's mm-hmm. a lot to it that mm-hmm. adds to that, 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 that that state of aporia and the, and then but it's a beautiful thing when we get there mm-hmm. because then we're ready right then we're ready to grow and learn and without that we're just stuck in a state of thinking mm-hmm. we know it like that that pride of thinking we know mm-hmm. things or ignorance mm-hmm. of of not knowing that we need to know yeah hmm. i think it's hard, though, when you actually experience that um, to not, uh, you don't want to stay there. It's not comfortable. Yeah. Right. And as we talk about aporia, that that's almost a good thing. Right. But it's not the only place you can constantly live. And it's also not a totally, uh, totally negative state. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul uses the word again in the second in second Corinthians uh, four, eight. But I'll read a little bit before that. He says to them, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us, which, you know, I hear. Mm. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, aporia, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. And I think it's kind of lovely, this idea that he clarifies that, that aporia, that perplexed, but not in despair, you know, that there's this sort of hope that even though we don't really have the answer, that a God knows all, uh, that he knows us and he knows all and he's in control, that it's not up to us to know everything. I I like that idea that we don't want to live there. Mm -hmm. It's an uncomfortable place, but a necessary place. I see it a lot. Um, I, I try to visualize this as a, almost like a check mark. Um, follow, follow me if, if, I, if I can make any sense with this, Danielle, um, that we're in a certain state. We have to go down and hit that state of aporia, and then the check mark always comes up and bounces back higher, right? Mm-hmm. So the concept of Christ coming down, working with the apostles, um, working with others, taking them to that point of despair, perplexity, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, confusion at his death. You, you referred mm-hmm. to it earlier, looking mm-hmm. in the tomb and that, that state of aporia. And then that that high of like, oh, I get it now. I understand mm-hmm. now what he was saying, that he's going to destroy the temple in three days and bring mm-hmm. it back. I didn't at that time. So there's that, there's that humiliation in a good way that's needed mm-hmm. to be humbled and hit that state of perplexion. And then the glorification almost of being bouncing back up to a greater understanding. Does that make any sense? Yeah, makes total sense. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't, that's, 
that's how I visualize it anyway. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so it's a good thing, but we don't want to live there, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's necessary to be humbled, but you're not just le- left in this sort of pit of despair. You are given this sort of vision and to you know uh, what God intends. Oftentimes, um, and and sometimes just the intention I feel like of experiencing Aphra is, uh, hey, realize that you're not in control. You're not God. You're not omniscient you're not yeah, yeah. You know, all powerful there so hmm. yeah hmm. i think it's interesting though how the biblical concept of aporia is distinctly more hopeful in a sense more okay. purposeful than okay. i think the greek uh, concept of aporia it's good it's it's not a bad thing it's actually socrates's goal in so many of his dialogues is to bring the people that he's speaking to to a state of aporia uh but it sort of falls short in the sense of, uh, I think, a full hope, because obviously he, in some ways, fell short of a full knowledge of, of mm. God, mm-hmm. um, which I think is, it, it's interesting, though, that, you know, I, from my study, it seems like, I don't know if Paul would have known about Plato and Socrates, but he would have had some sort of a Greek education with his ability to speak and whatnot. Uh, and, and construct arguments. So sometimes I wonder how much he knew about that. I, th- I think it's fair to assume that he mm-hmm. had a, a good knowledge of, uh, a, and I think it influences some of his writings. And, and uh, so I think it's it's neat that, it, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, that that's not hopeful where Socrates left people mm-hmm. because he didn't fully understand that hope, whereas Paul, through the Holy Spirit, did. Mm-hmm. And, um Ah, that's fascinating. I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. It it brings me back to to Athens and the sermon at Mars Hill and the sermon talking about uh, the unknown God, right? You, you, what you worship, you don't know. I'm here to tell you, right? And that sort of special revelation that we get uh, that that comes through the Holy Spirit. But I think Socrates was so priming the world in a sense. Socrates and Plato, they were almost priming the world to start to really doubt and pull at the threads of polytheism and Mm, mm -hmm, their mm -hmm. concept of the gods. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think you see that so distinctly in Euthyphro. Um, You've you've read it now. Yes, Uh, yes. What what stuck out to you about that dialogue? Well, before we jump into that, Mm -hmm. I, I, I... So you and I traveled uh, mm-hmm. to Mars Hill. We were over there chaperoning some students. And, and just that idea that that was preached just a couple hundred yards from where Socrates was probably walking in the, uh, the Agora and, and challenging all the concepts. And, and to be able to look down from where that was being preached at Mars Hill and see that, it's just fascinating. I, I love what you just said, how... The world was being primed. God was putting this in place to bring the hope of Christ. So um, that's that's fascinating. So do you, you think um, so? That's a it's a neat Christian understanding we have right now, and um, I'm looking forward to getting it, getting into this idea in Euthyphro and Mino with you, and mm-hmm. um, and, and as we do that, um, I hope it can expound our understanding of how we teach how we lead how we learn ourselves Mm -hmm. um so that'll be that'll be fun Mm -hmm. fascinating and i love that you challenged me to understand this more um when you came to me a month or so ago and said hey let's let's talk about this it's been 
it's been really great because I've I've had this idea of Socratic dialogue and teaching, and I love that that's what we do in in classical Christian education. We see Christ doing that, and and just to expound on it more with this idea of uh, of uh, aporia has been has been fascinating. So, um, have any other thoughts on that as we wrap this up and prepare for some some more deep dives into this? I think you said it well, Tim. I think we need to remember that aporia is okay to experience as educators. It's okay to sort of experience puzzlement and impasse, not really knowing how to advance forward. But then to sort of remember that hope of uh, it's okay that we don't completely understand, that we can lean not on our own understanding, mm. and that uh, that we... Are, we have treasures and jars of clay, you know, that, that God's going to work through that, uh, that sense of puzzlement and, and draw us closer into himself. So I like that. Lean not on your own understanding, mm-hmm. but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your paths. So that's great. So wrap, wrap, wrap this up for us um, and give us a, a good um, last understanding of of aporia as we're seeking to to dive into that we've talked a lot um help us understand the 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 concept of it one last time so aporia is the experience of puzzlement being at an impasse and this is a greek greek concept and it's something that is in the christian tradition the classical tradition and it's something that I think we experience as classical Christian teachers today. And as we experience it, we have to learn how to navigate our way out of that impasse. And I think we can do it by relying on the Lord. And it's necessary for us to yes. experience it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a necessary, necessary good. Well, this is great. I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing on with this. Uh, I'm glad we can get together and do this. Me too. <laughs>